Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And we have just uh, started a new series rooted in the book of Hebrews. Last week, we gave an overview to this letter written primarily to Jewish Christians. And the urge is for them to press into greater maturity in Christ. And as we adventure through this letter, I believe that this, as the Hebrew writer describes, this brief exhortation will do us much good as a church family today, helping us together to press into a greater maturity in Christ, as well as helping those who are exploring what the Christian life or faith is all about. So if you have missed last week's preach, which gives an overview to this letter, because we are one church multiplications, you get a double dose. You can have one or the other, or you can have both if you want to. You can catch up on that via Spotify or SoundCloud, by a link, or uh, by typing in New Life Community Church podcast. Uh, okay, right, but enough of that, and on to the Word of the Gods. Word of the God? Word of God. If you have your Bibles, please turn to chapter 1 of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of the free ones dotted around or share with someone next to you, if they look nice. Okay, share. So Hebrews is one of the last books of the New Testament, so it's going to be near the end of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read through from verse 1 through to chapter 2, verse 4. Okay, I'm reading from the ESV version. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, your, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve 
for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his. Well, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, in this very, what would seem a very meaty book, Lord, of theology, I just want to pray now that we would grasp something of the significance, Lord, of what you are speaking. Lord, by your word, would you sharply just go straight to the heart of us, Lord, and reveal yourself Uh, speak to us uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray just bring about transformation, Lord God. May the power of your word speak for itself, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in this opening section, if you keep your thumbs in it, we'll we'll be um, kind of revert, you know, keep on referencing it as we go through. The writer addresses, I think quite neatly, um, three areas of focus. He looks at Jesus, he looks at angels, and then he delivers some application to the reader. So with that in mind, those are the areas we're going to give our focus to. We're going to say, let's talk about Jesus, let's talk about angels, and then let's talk about us. We, um, we picked this up in Life Group on Wednesday. How is, a, um, how is a plant best prepared for stormy weather, other than the obvious of taking it indoors, potting it and putting it inside? If it's not going to get swept up and blown away, what is it going to need? Good soil and roots that are deep. Good soil and roots that are deep. When, um, when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and it's worth bearing in mind that these guys would have been practicing Jews at the time, which might help you put yourself a little bit in the shoes of the readers of this letter, When the storm comes, the disciples fear for their lives and they turn to Jesus. And in turning to Jesus, the scripture says that he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. And the response of the disciples is, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and water and they obey him. Who is this who has such authority over creation? Imagine the dynamic in the boat if the disciples weren't asking the question, who then is this? But instead, when the storms came, they were able to say, I know who this is, and he is with me. Part of the introduction to this letter to the Hebrews is to quickly move the reader from a position of who then is this to I know who this is and he is with me. Like in the parable, if I'm building a house upon the rock that is Jesus, meaning I'm building all that I am upon Christ, Christ who is the cornerstone that we've been singing about this minute of my life and the cornerstone of this church family, What is it then that makes Jesus so rock-like? 
What is it that makes him so dependable, so unshakable? For the Jewish Christian, what is it that affirms Jesus as the prophesied Messiah? What affirms him as the saving one, the one spoken of by the prophets of old? What makes Jesus the guy? What establishes him as the pinnacle of God's saving plan for his people? As a lawyer would present his case to a jury, so here the writer presents his case for Christ so that maturity would increase. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let's talk about Jesus. And we're going to start with verses 1 and 2, which I'm going to paraphrase. Throughout our early history, God has spoken to us at many times and in many ways through the prophets. You might know some of them. Abraham to Moses, from Miriam to Deborah, from Samuel to Nathan, from Elijah to Elisha, from Isaiah and Jeremiah, from Ezekiel to Hosea, and so on. In these days, and from now on, the prevailing voice is that of Jesus Christ. But why must we give our greatest attention to the voice of Jesus? Who then is this that we should listen to him? The way the writer of the Hebrews wants to address those questions is by establishing the credentials of Jesus. The things that qualify him for such honor and respect, starting here in verses 2 to 4. And credential number one, he is God's son. He is God's son. One of the prophets that we just mentioned, a guy called Isaiah, he speaks faithfully as God's servant toward a day when a child will be born, a son given. And this son would have the government upon his shoulder. He would carry the weight of leadership for the nation of God's people. How do we wish, even today, for good godly leadership over our nation? Isaiah speaks of a son who would carry the weight of leadership for the nation of God's people. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Several hundred years later... A man called John, another prophet and servant of God, baptizes a man called Jesus. In this moment, a voice comes from heaven and says, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God's public affirmation of Jesus as son sent a message to all present, including the prophet John, that this was the one. I was speaking of through my servant Isaiah. This is my chosen one. No other have I spoken of like this. And as God's only son, he is also the, through verses two to four, the heir of all things, which means in the same way that God has given his best in the sending of his son, he in turn also intends to give the best back to his son, the inheritance of all things. Jesus is the one through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is superior to the angels. My gosh, that's 10 weeks of sermons right there. We don't have time to exhaustively work through all of these, but we're going to touch base just on a couple of these credentials. 
with the writer establishing Jesus as being with God in the beginning and being instrumental in the creation process, i.e. when he says Jesus is the one through whom he created the world, In doing this, he is setting Jesus significantly apart from anyone who has gone before him. I, I don't know of anyone. I don't know if anyone's claimed it before. <clears throat> for what other person can claim, I was there. I was there, and I wasn't just watching from the sidelines. But it was through me that God created the world. No, in this statement... Jesus is being marvelously set apart from all others in power, in authority, in nature, in relationship with God. In fact, can you do this stuff and not be God? Who else upholds the universe by the word of his power? Meaning the universe submits to his voice. Doesn't then seem so crazy that we should give our greatest attention to him. Chapter 1 of John's Gospel, chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Colossians, they all give attention to the credentials that Jesus has, credentials that have been established from the very beginning. And this is so that his voice might be the prevailing voice in our lives. It's not just that Jesus came and was clearly a better prophet than all the other guys before. No, it is to understand that the role of the prophet throughout Israel's history was to point towards Jesus. As Paul writes to the Roman church, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And just a quick mention of Jesus being the exact imprint of God's nature. This is where we're looking at a person's features. Nature means you know, your person's features, characters and qualities. Character and qualities. So when God made mankind, male and female. He made them in his image. Genesis 1 uses this beautiful Trinitarian language. Let us make man in our, in our image after our likeness. Mankind, male and female, have something of the likeness of God in us. So we should be able to look across the room, look at each other through feature, character and quality, and recognize something of the creator God in us. Our physical makeup and our spiritual behavior, they point toward him who made us. In the same way that you see your son or daughter do this occasionally, you know, you just catch just a little moment when they behave in a particular way, and you think, wow, you were just like your mum then. Or, or dad would just say it just like that. We are made in the image and the likeness of our creator. And so there's something you should see reflected in creation that just speaks something of him. It's not the same with Jesus. Jesus isn't in the likeness of God. And that's because, firstly, he's not created like us. In fact, he's not created at all. The same God, as, <laughs> the same God is uncreated. And Hebrews actually will help us understand that later, so I actually didn't want to spoil that bit. That's for another time. Even so, being created and uncreated helpfully sets Jesus apart from us, but so does likeness and exact imprint. 
where we can be like our creator God in feature, character, and quality, Jesus is exact. If we want to know something about the Father, we can look at every detail of the Son, his features, character, and qualities, because in knowing Jesus, we know the Father. And this is exactly what Jesus reiterates with us, John 14, 7. If you had known me, Jesus says, you would have also known my Father. Or known my Father also. In the Old Testament, the relationship between God and his people that we have on record, or the closest, sorry, the closest relationship we have on record, is that between the prophet Moses and God. So in Exodus, it says in 33.11, that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Friendship with God was something special between creator and creation. And in that time was something of a rarity. However, Jesus has much more than friendship with God. He is family with God. Meaning he, he was and is of the same substance. The same stuff. And was in, and is in constant communion with God. As one in the beginning. The son of the father an exact imprint of his nature. When we look to Jesus, we see the Father. When we look to know Jesus, we know the Father. Jesus is also superior to the angels. So let's talk about angels a little bit. So the writer starts by with sharing how God used these mighty servants called prophets to be God's mouthpiece, his megaphone, as it were, his voice alongside the law given to the people of Israel. But then comes Jesus, and he comes as the son who serves. His voice is the voice of all voices. All the other voices that have gone before are road directions that point toward Jesus and happily bow down to him. But the writer also devotes a reasonable chunk of chapter 1 to establish Jesus as being superior to the angels. Now, before I address that question, which we might naturally ask is, why does the writer do that? Let's chat angels and remind ourselves briefly what the scripture says about them. Now, hopefully the majority of us will not equate angelic beings with cute, tiny little babies who have wings and shoot arrows of love towards those who have yet to find romance. If you are, I'll, I'll, I'll check with you after this. It'll be great. Yeah, <clears throat> I've lost. I totally lost my place now. Let's go. I'm going to go excited. The Bible actually paints a very big picture of what angels are and what they can do. So starting with the verse that we have in Hebrews 1.14, the writer describes angels as ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So the word ministering means to attend to the need. Attend to the need. That's where we get ministry from, the word ministry from to attend to the need. And we see that type of ministering at work when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. It is here that Jesus is tempted by Satan, and Jesus counters that temptation by citing the word of God. Refuted by the word of God, the devil leaves, and it says that, and the scriptures say that the angels came to minister, to attend to Jesus' need. So angels are sent out by God to attend to our need. 
And they are primarily spirits. And I say primarily because we do see in Scripture that angels can take on a physical form. And we get that from Hebrews 13.2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We have these um, peculiar and powerful examples in the Old Testament of angels arriving on the scene. Genesis 19 is one of those. If you fancy a fun one to read, read that one. That's a good one. Where two angels, they arrive in Sodom to bring God's judgment, but before they completely decimate the city, they receive the hospitality of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And in, the other account, and in that account, you find the mercy of God falls upon Lot and his family alongside some really other interesting events, which I won't share now. <laughs> so angels are spirits who sometimes take physical form and are sent out by God to bring aid to those who have placed their faith in him. And the word angel itself can mean messenger. This makes me think of, well, I think we all kind of like will find common ground on that one. So the angel Gabriel delivering the message of good news to Joseph that he should not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. For her conception was through the power of the Holy Spirit and that she would bear a son and you should call his name Jesus for he will save the people, save his people from their sins. And of course, if you've read the book of Daniel, there's a very cool section at the end where the angel Gabriel is sent to explain to Daniel the vision that he's had, he's received. I don't know if you've ever seen, has anyone seen the film 1917? If anyone's seen the film 1917, it follows the journey of two soldiers who have been given a message of critical importance to deliver to the front line. Gabriel's journey has this similar feel. If you haven't seen it, it's a great film. The camera literally follows these guys all the way because they can't just pick up the call and, make a, 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 and send it down the line because uh, German, German forces will pick up on it and intercede, inter, intercept, thank you. Thank you, intercept it. So here, in, in, in the journey of Daniel, in the journey of Gabriel, there is a journey in a similar way. He has a critical message to bring and the camera almost you know, follows him, pans him around on this journey towards Daniel and his vision, to share his vision. Angels are messengers of God. If you go a little bit further along the birth, of, the birth of Christ narrative, we have the angel appearing to the shepherds who are keeping watch, or angels uh, keeping watch over their flock by night, being a messenger of God, but having to start that message with, fear not. Because the shepherds are terrified. Angels have a powerful presence. They are unmistakably powerful angelic beings. But they are powerful angelic beings who are on the side of every believer. They do not act on their own accord, but they are sent by God. The city of Sodom in Genesis 19 and its surrounding cities were absolutely scorched burnt to the ground by just two angels. So angels are ministering spirits, those who come to attend and to aid, who at times take on physical form, sent by God, are messengers for God, and are extremely powerful spiritual beings. So why? Why does the writer in this chapter seek to establish Jesus as superior to the angels? Well, one of the key clues is found in Paul's letter to the Colossians. We discover that there are faith groups, potentially a mixture of both Jew and Gentile, who pressed for the worship of angels. 
There are a number of suggestions as to why that was the case, but Paul groups it into this category of theology that would seek to pull you away from Christ being central and therefore move you into a place of uncertainty about the beautiful gift of grace that you have received. Here in Hebrews, the writer right off the bat wants to help the reader to press into maturity and not be swayed by alternative teachings that seek to remove the centrality of Jesus and nullify his significance. Readers, be aware of such things. Church, be aware of such things. These powerful, angelic beings live to serve God. They message on his behalf. They point us back to him. And crucially, they join with the rest of heaven in worshipping him who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature, and the one who upholds the universe by his power. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 to 9, John, the receiver of this just incredible vision from God, in dialogue with an angel of God, he falls down at the angel's feet to worship him. And I'll read to you the angel's response. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. You must not do that. Worship God. When you are discovering who Jesus is, it is quite normal to ask the question, who then is this? Who can have such authority to speak into my life and wipe my slate clean? Who is able to guarantee hope both for for now and beyond this life? Who can make promises such as that? Who is this who speaks healing into those who are hurting? Who fills those who are spiritually hungry? Who is this that knows me through and through and yet loves me unconditionally? Who is able to command creation to stand still? Who then is this? These are normal questions for those who are discovering Jesus. But it is in pressing into maturity that we are able to move from the who then is this into the I know who this is and he is with me. It changes the dynamic in the boat when the storm comes. It changes the dynamic when new teachings that feel contrary to the scripture come along. It changes the dynamic in personal security. I am more content, more at peace, more uneasily moved, more satisfied, more in faith, more at rest, more, 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 because I know more about him. I know who Jesus is, and I know he is with me. Let's talk about us. You know when you um, want to share important instructions to your children, or when you give a team talk, okay? Something along those lines. You draw people in. You draw people in. You gather them into, come on, guys, come in. 
Come into the huddle. Come into the huddle. You want their full attention. Their eyes on you. Ears ready to receive what you're going to say. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Hebrews tells us this. Therefore, we must pay, listen up guys, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In light of establishing credentials of Jesus, in starting that journey to help the reader press into maturity, he calls them, he calls us, to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Which means giving moments where you are intentionally laying other things aside, drawing in close, eyes fixed, is ready, ready to give your attention to the things of God. Pay close attention to his word, to his voice, to those God has given you to help shepherd, and oh, to those who God has given to help shepherd and lead you. That in drawing in and paying close attention to him, you would find those roots growing deeper the rock of Jesus established in your life, that in season of storm and challenge, you would not be uprooted and blown about by the wind, but would move you from a place of who then is this to I know who this is. The warning then is that in not paying close attention, there is a danger of us drifting away. And for many of us, myself included, you know, there have been points in my life time that where I've experienced that. But for some of us here today, there might be where you're right out here and now. We don't want to be a people who, as the Hebrew writer says, neglect such a great salvation. But it is just that. It is a great salvation that has been won for us through Jesus Christ. To neglect it is to not give it the attention that it's due. God wants to draw you back to him today. He wants to speak to you and wants you to pay close attention to him all over again. Because he has never stopped paying close attention to you. Can I invite the worship team? Can we stand together as God's church family? We're going to rightly take the opportunity to respond in worship. And we're going to, as part of our worship, take the opportunity to lend our ear. You know, God calls that, you know, draw closer in, guys. Pull in, come closer, pay attention. Hear my voice on these matters. That I may help you grow in your maturity with me. Let me read you Revelation 5.
they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The one to whom the saints, living creatures, elders, and angels bring their offering of worship. We want to say, I know who this is. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. We're going to respond in worship. And I want to encourage you to be mindful of what the Holy Spirit is doing and how he would help us together to press onto maturity. So we want to fix and steer our eyes upon Jesus. And we also want to give room for what God is saying through his spirit to the church. Give opportunity for words of encouragement that would build us up and strengthen us together. So as we worship, if you feel that you feel you want to come and bring something to the body to bring and strengthen and encourage, there's freedom to do that. And we'd encourage you and come find Lou or myself. And if you want to run a word by us or you want to check in something and bring something of encouragement, we want to give room for that. So Father, I just want to pray, would you come now by your Holy Spirit? Lord Jesus, we want to uh, put our gaze, uh, give our eyes to you, Lord, our ears, be attentive to your voice. Lord Jesus, we want to recognize you as the great superior one, the radiance of God's glory, the one who upholds the universe by his power, the exact imprint of God's nature, you who is superior to the angels, the one to whom the angels say, do not worship me, worship God. You are the one who is on the throne. You are the one who is over all things. And so we invite you, would you come? Would you come, make yourself known amongst us afresh this morning and build up your church? In Jesus' name, amen.